All right, uh, good morning. <laughs> um, this is my coach, Autumn. She's gonna help me out today. Uh, as Jim mentioned, I am a high school teacher, and this is my 12th year with the district, and I've taught in some pretty challenging high schools. Uh, one close enough, if you're a pretty good golf shot, you could hit from here, um, but all in West Philly. And despite having gotten some students to be excited about learning about the Great Depression, I don't think I've been this nervous speaking in front of people since my first year teaching. <laughs> and I'd like to think that today I'm going to use some of that courage that Melissa talked about last week. There you are. Okay. <laughs> um, so here we are, January 20th, 20 days into the new year. How many of you guys made resolutions? Just show a hand, made New Year's resolution. All right, I think those are always interesting. Um, and I found some videos online real quick that talk um, about New Year's resolutions that I think we will probably identify ourselves somewhere in one of these. So we could take a look real quick. Bright and early. Time to accomplish some goals. No. No. Definitely not. I'm just like, I'm really, really trying to be healthier this year and um, I'm really excited about it. It's really, it's so good. Mmm. <laughs> I love it. I really love it. Take one final deep breath in, exhale. Do I want to go to yoga class with you? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I've really been thinking I want to budget. I just really want to crack down on my spending. So come here, I've like drawn up an entire spreadsheet. And, 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 and. Okay, my cart is really full. Oh, add. Thank God for credit cards. <laughs> I'm going out. I'm going out tonight. I'm gonna be social. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to people. I can't wait. <laughs> you know, on second though, I really wanted to watch Bird Box. I heard it's really good. And then there's there's one other one. I hear some laughs, some people probably have seen her on social media. Myself this year, so I can ignore that my whole life is a mess.
my resolution was to stop being negative, feeling like that. Everyone's like, new year, new me. I put protein powder in my water. Does instant hot cocoa count? Mom's resolution was to do more squats, but she basically did squat all year. Karen's <laughs> resolution was to forgive Jeff. But guess who Jeff was kissing at midnight? Not Karen. The only thing I kissed at midnight was my pillow, because I was asleep. People keep talking about a fresh start. You've got to be joking me. Just because the eight turned into a nine doesn't mean everything is fine. The only thing starting fresh this year is my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, about those resolutions. Um, how many of you have broken them already? <laughs> Um, how many of you guys didn't make a resolution? Why not? So, um, ironically, as I was preparing for this talk, and, and you know, I'm on that wonderful thing called the internet, um, an article popped up in my timeline. And as I think about it, it probably was not ironic, thanks to that little check on that terms of agreement that we check on everything without reading. So it probably saw me typing resolution in a lot, and so, of course, the article comes up. But it was from philly.com, and it says that when it comes to keeping New Year's resolutions, only 64% last longer than the first month, and only 46% last longer than the first six months. Even more discouraging, though, was the statistic that only 14% of people over the age of 50 actually achieve their resolution, compared to 39% of people in their 20s. So basically, we're going to fail. Um, it's easy now, in 2019, to have a heightened sense of imperfection, since we can compare ourselves to anyone thanks to social media. There's posts like, hashtag my bestie is better than yours, hashtag relationship goals, hashtag parenting wins, even though a lot of those parenting wins are ways that parents have found to do something without spending a lot of effort, but it looks really good. Maybe you've seen the picture of the dad playing um, baseball with his son. In the close-up picture, you know, his son's hitting the ball, the widescreen picture is him sitting in the lawn chair with a ball attached to a fishing rod. And, you know, so he's just back and forth with the kid. Um, but it, we tend to get up or caught up in what is known in some circles as doing it for the gram. Doing it so whatever we do, we can post on social media and get a whole bunch of likes and make it look like our life is perfect. But a lot of times, our real lives more resemble the Pinterest fail. If you don't know, um, Pinterest is a social media platform where basically anything that is creative or a how-to, you can go there and learn how to make it um, or be directed to a site where they give you instructions. Um, I know I use it a lot when trying to create nursery themes and birthday themes. Um, and so you find these really intricate birthday cakes and it's like, okay, I can do that. But since nobody wants to pay $500 for a birthday cake, we try to make them ourselves. And sometimes what we end up creating results in that Pinterest fail. And I think we find those as funny as we do because they're actually relatable. It gives us comfort that other people have tried these really crafty projects and they failed. Pinterest fails make us laugh. But what about the failures that we have that hurt us? When we don't, when we don't like to compare images and lifestyles we see on social media. Even though on an intellectual level, we know that these are completely staged, altered, photoshopped, 
to be perfect, but we still internalize those images as what we think we should be living up to. What about when we don't get that job or a promotion? Or when we have a disability that makes it challenging to complete certain tasks? When there really aren't enough hours in the day to work two jobs, make ends meet, and take care of kids in a house? Now, my goal here is not to rain on your parade, or, um, but to try to help you gain a better perspective on how to live well in God's world while releasing you from the pursuit of a perfect life. How do we meet God in our imperfect struggles? We often are not comfortable with our imperfection. It's a worldview that we're supposed to live our best life now rather than later. Now, I'm not saying be passive or just say, you're not going to be able to do it, so don't try. We should always try to strive to do better, live better, and be better. But the key for striving for our best life now is to do it with the right information and in that we have to factor imperfection as part of our plans. Now, we all know there's the components of smart goal setting uh, to help us be successful. But how often is Jesus a part of our specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, timely plans? <laughs> Um, so when I began to think about where God constantly shows up in my life, I really didn't know how to identify just one specific thing. So I changed my thinking about what do I always want? What am I always hoping for? And it might sound cliche, but I've got a little bit of con a control issue. I think I've talked about that once before. But I always need to know, uh-oh, there we go, um, the outcome of situations. I have plan A's and B's and Y's and Z's. Laurel, my husband, will tell you that you have conversations in your head, which is true because I tried to plan and account for all the potential responses and how I think I want to respond before it even happens. I don't like to make mistakes, so I overplan. Or on the flip side, I don't try. I'll get to that later. But once I could identify that making mistakes or imperfections um, was the area where I'd really do um, meet God, I needed to see what the Bible said about imperfections. So I went to that great search engine, Google, and the story of Paul came up. Now, just a reminder of who Paul was. He was um, known, of course, later in life as his great disciple, but he had the conversion on the road to Damascus. He was started out as Saul. It was a known persecutor of Christians in the known world at that time, like Roman Empire areas. And so he was traveling um, from Jerusalem to Damascus on a mission to actually arrest and imprison Christians. Um, when he was confronted with a bright light, that was Jesus, and he was struck blind. But after three days, his sight, his sight was restored, and Paul began to preach that Jesus was the Messiah and the Son of God. So, a pretty imperfect beginning for one of the most revered disciples of Christianity and spreading, spreading the message of Christ throughout the world. So rather than trying to solve the problem of imperfection by changing friends or circumstances or even not trying things that challenge us, what if we saw our shortcomings as a path for God's grace and power to show up in our lives? Could it be that the Lord wants imperfection in our life for our good and his glory? There's a clear example of this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, which is the scripture. It's um, from one of Paul's letters. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from being conceited. Paul had a problem with pride. He was tempted to think too highly of himself, and God knew this. So he gave Paul a gift, a thorn in his flesh to, uh, to harass his chosen servant. God gave imperfection to help Paul become all he, he could be through Christ's strength rather than his own. So Paul, with all his given imperfections, was perfectly used by God. 
How can God use our imperfections not only to bring him glory, but to bring us in a closer relationship with him? So here's a few ideas that um, resonated with me and how we can meet God in our imperfections. So first, our failures make us humble. Failure reminds us that we are not perfect. We can't do anything without Christ, and all of our talents that we have come from him. So when we fail at something, it keeps us from thinking our accomplishments make us better than others, but also centers us and makes us realize that our failures don't make us any worse than anyone else. So what was the, the, the thorn that Paul mentioned? There was a couple of different interpretations as to what this thorn was. Some biblical scholars say that it was vision problems, a real physical disability he had. And in some letters he writes, he acknowledges either having help to write them or actually makes it a point to say that he wrote it himself. So this is a pretty huge imperfection. The fact that his letters to the Ephesians or the Galatians that helped sustain people in their Christian walk in between his visits, which since, you know, no airplanes and everything like that, it was months in between, it speaks into how God met Paul in his imperfection and still allowed him to spread the message of Christ. But Paul was given this physical ailment to keep his ego in check. And I wondered, since he had been the best persecutor of Christians, he expected to be an equally best disciple of Christians. He was so zealous in his work of spreading Christianity and was successful, it's pretty easy to see he could have fallen into, look at how good I am. Then he would have focused on getting attention instead of the message of Jesus. So our imperfections help us keep the focus of our success on Jesus when those wins happen. When we succeed or get promotions, it's easy to fall into, look at what I did. And sometimes in negative situations, we more often pray, God protect me or help get me out of this situation. But what if in those prayers, we miss the opportunity to strengthen our faith and to learn to depend on God and instead pray, how do I make it in the situation? to give God the opportunity to show up and help my attitude stay positive and focus on him. Instead, praying to God for, to right the wrong or to smite those who've wronged us. And I have to admit, I have fallen victim to that prayer. Real prayer I've really prayed, dear Lord, get me out of the school and get the principal fired. <laughs> and I miss the opportunity to pray Jesus, help me be a light in a dark school and maintain a positive attitude and a heart that reflects you. In hindsight, missing the opportunity to pray for Jesus to help me in the situation instead of get out of it caused me uh, to get into a pretty negative space at work. Uh, I was quick to jump in and participate in negative conversations and spent more time complaining about what was wrong. While I still think my students got a pretty good teacher that year, I wonder, uh, through prayer to keep a more positive attitude, could I have done more for my students? Now, I did make it out of that school and did get a new position this year, as Jim mentioned. And to be honest, I do think I'm a pretty good teacher. I've gotten a few awards, and in this new position, a lot of people say, oh, teacher coaches get these because they've proven that they are successful teachers. So it's pretty easy to see how that message could go to your head. But then reality hits. And uh, just a quick note, so a teacher coach, I work with new teachers new to the district, like new to the profession, I'm sorry, or in the state of Pennsylvania, and support them through their first year so hopefully they can be retained by the district. Um, but the learning curve for this position is high, and that humbled me real quick. And I question, 
Am I making good decisions in how I help teachers? Knowing that they're depending on me to help them make it through this first year. Um, and this is a huge responsibility. And I make a conscious decision to pray before I talk to teachers. I meet God in my uncertainty of having these conversations and pray that he gives me the right words and plans for the teacher. Especially in the next few weeks, we'll have to have some hard conversations with some of them, letting them know that they're not performing at the level they should be at this time. We're not seeing the growth from students. Students are still running around doing whatever they want. Um, and that they're going to be put on an intensive support plan. And if they don't show progress through this plan by the end of the year, they cannot be recommended for retention. Um, which means they have potentially just spent thousands of dollars getting this degree and don't have a job. Pretty heavy. So Wednesday was my first conversation, and I didn't pray beforehand. There were tears from the teachers. She was really resistant, sent a follow-up email, like, I need to get union representation involved. By the way, I am a union person, so, you know, it's kind of, this is a pushback that we're told can happen. Um, but I was just like, okay, that didn't go well. Thursday, when I actually was talking to the teacher who I anticipated a negative response from, took 30 seconds in the parking lot and prayed, Lord, just give me the right words to say. I go in there, and she was amazingly receptive to the message. She was eager to dig in and say, what do we need to do, um, and really wants to grow. I know that because I took 30 seconds to pray that... Um, and knowing my weakness and uncertainty in these conversations and put Jesus at the center is what made this conversation go different. So even as we strive in our work to try to do great things and improve our lives, the why can vary. Why do we want to succeed in success? And um, if we fail, oftentimes the failure highlights our motive. So when we struggle to achieve our goals, it helps us examine why are we pursuing them? Are we focused on bringing attention to ourselves? Or are we pursuing the things that are of God and aligned to his will that will bring him glory through the outcome? So the job that I have now, I applied for a few years ago. And I went to the interview, walked out thinking, nailed it. Think it's going to be a matter of time. They sent me the email uh, offering me the job. I was so confident that I had done well. I sent that thank you email follow-up. You know, they tell you you're supposed to send. Um, thinking they respond, we'd love to offer you the position. Well, less than 12 hours later, I got a firm, thank you, we're not offering you. Okay. <laughs> uh, that was a gut check. But when I look back at why I wanted the position then, and even how I might have communicated during the interview, I wanted everyone to know how good of a teacher I was. I was putting myself at the center instead of keeping my students at the center, which is why we do as teachers what we do. My motive was wrong. Are we... Are the things we're pursuing us keeping us enslaved to social or cultural expectations and not God's desires for us? As partners or parents, do we have unrealistic expectations of what our home should look like, that we should be making Pinterest-worthy meals every night, or make baby food from organic foods and everything else they say is perfect parenting um, so that we can get likes when we post that wonderful, you know, baby thing on, on Instagram with the, all the containers of food? Now, I'm not saying don't, if that's really your thing and you love food, knock yourself out. But don't do it because you think someone's going to judge you if you don't. Sometimes, you know, hot dogs and cereal makes it in our house for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> um, but do we do it for the gram? And then when we fail, we feel bad about ourselves or get so caught up in producing a perfect product that we neglect those that we love. 
has anybody seen the show on Netflix, Black Mirror? Okay, a few people. So I just got um, started on it, seeing that it's, you know, just different episodes. And one I saw last week, but just so you know, it's a show that um, shows how our lives can go horribly wrong when we get too dependent on technology. Um, so the episode I saw last week was um, about how person's worth is atta attached to their social rating. And literally, I don't have my phone, people walk through life and it's you're like, ooh, we really do look like that, walking around just on our phones all the time. But the interaction of phones is every interaction that you had with a person resulted in a rating. So simply going to get your coffee, the barista rated you and being nice and, hi, how are you doing? And, the, and you rated them and vice versa. And the goal is to have the highest rating of a five as possible. And having a five or a high score, like four or over, got you invited to certain parties and weddings, um, even determine if you were eligible to live in certain communities or could get a discount because you were an influencer, a term we're pretty familiar with right now. Um, so the woman that was the center of this episode is just living life, turning on as, when she's in public and being perfect to get that social rating because she wanted to live in um, this certain apartment and they, she couldn't afford it. So they said, if you can get your rating to like a 4.5, we can give you a discount and then she could live there. Um, so turning on, turning off. As soon as she passed the person, her face would drop and you know, she was really annoyed. Basically over the course of the episode, she gets so frustrated with trying to be perfect, she snaps. Her goal was to get to a wedding. Her best friend had like a 4.7 rating. She knew if she could get to this wedding and, and interact with these 4.7s and above, her rating would go up and she could get into the apartment. So she has negative interactions at the airport and before she can even get anywhere, her ratings drop to like a, a two something. She tries to rent a car, but the car rental, to get a quality car, you had to have at least a two, and she you know, was driving quickly to 1.8 because literally everybody would see her face and knock her score down. They heard her cuss at the airline attendant, knock her score down, just everybody's watching, and she, her rating is dropping. So she can't get the car, gets you know, like an old hoopty, doesn't make it to the wedding. You know, like Army Cross gets there looking a complete mess. And you know, she's basically at a one. End of the episode, she's a zero and it ends up in jail. She cracked, she failed miserably, and her life could not recover from it seemingly. But clearly, her motive was not pure. And she cracked at the end. So what if our motives are, um, for selfish gains are pushing us to crack? Um, we should desire to improve, but to keep our successes Jesus-centered and allow him to meet us where we crack so that we don't hurt those around us. Um, our real limitations to be able to accomplish things do allow God to work. Your past actions and reputations make uh, people judge your worth of being able to do what you should. Looking at Paul's story again, we know his vision was a real limitation of his. But other Bible scholars say Paul's past of persecuting the church um, before his conversion was his thorn. His past would allow people to judge him and say, why you? Also, Paul was not a trained apostle. He didn't go to disciple you and graduate with honors. So why should he have been able to so successfully spread the message of Jesus as far as and why? He, on paper, was all wrong. Look at the other big people in the Bible. Moses stuttered. David was short. Mary Magdalene had a reputation. All seemingly the wrong people at the time that were used to do some of God's biggest work. So what happens when we know our motives are pure, we are humble, and we do acknowledge the things that limit us? We need to intentionally remember to pray 
and stay Jesus-centered instead of self-centered. When things get challenging because of limitations or failures, it's a reminder that we should be in constant communication with Jesus about what we're doing, our motives, and remaining focused. If we could do all the things perfectly, where would we seek God or allow his strength to work? God could become an afterthought. So right now I'm reading, and honestly been reading for like two months, still haven't finished, Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. Um, and something that really resonated with me in there, she talked about her college and career path. While great on paper was not what she was passionate about. She went to Harvard and Yale, became a six-figure lawyer at a big firm, and was checking the boxes of what she thought she was supposed to do to be successful. Um, and now, in her book, she credits seeing Obama live his life going with the flow and not checking the boxes as a motivation for her to find her passion and to switch career paths into the public sector, where she did take a gigantic pay cut. I'd like to think that the fear of failure to be able to make ends meet is where, um, in limitation, it's where we can meet Jesus. And praying for direction to take leaps, we use our faith muscle to try to, to trust Jesus that all things will be used for his glory and bring the focus on him. So Brad had asked, has asked me twice in the past to preach, and I said no. Because I didn't think I could do well. I have this high expectation of getting things right the first time I do them. I know I can't do this, so no. Um, and striving for this perfection was focusing on me. Melissa talked about that last week and the difference between imperfection and improvement. And I, in my need to be perfect, I was worried about how others would think, think, and I blocked myself from growing my faith muscle. That in this process, I would depend on God showing me how and leading me in what I should talk about. And as a result, I was praying more, communicating with him more and allowing him to work. As a result, nothing I've said today is because of my own ability um, and has made this experience for me God-focused instead of me-focused. Giving up the need to control and always get things right or refusing to try something because I'm afraid to fail has taken the focus off of me and put it on Jesus. It has put me into more constant and consistent prayer, which in turn gets me into a closer relationship with Jesus. Sometimes our need for perfection, though, is about fear of failure but not because we fear what others think about us, but because we truly fail what failure means if we don't succeed. How will I provide if I get fired or if I don't get the job? What if I never find a partner? What if my marriage fails and I become a single parent? What if the cake I made on Pinterest the morning of my kid's birthday turns into a Pinterest fail? Those are the moments that God can't wait to show up and show out. So what are some practical ways this week we can go, grow closer to Jesus using our imperfection? Uh, first, accept a challenge that you said no to because you feel failure and give God the space to show up. So, um, that could mean, second, restarting your New Year's resolution. Why not try again? It's still the first month. And even if you, you know, make it to February 19th and fail on February 20th, start on February 21st again and acknowledge where you fall short. So before the last point, um, as I was talking to Melissa, she told me to look into Kintsugi art. And there's a picture. Okay, it's kind of hard to see. Um, but I had to look, at, uh, look up what it was. So I'm reading this directly from the website. When a bowl or a teapot or a precious vase falls and breaks into a thousand pieces, we throw them away angrily and regretfully. 
Yet there's an alternative, a Japanese practice that highlights and enhances the breaks, thus adding value to the broken object. It's called kintsugi, literally golden, ken, and repair, tsugi. This traditional Japanese art uses precious metal, liquid gold, liquid silver, or lacquer dusted with powdered gold to bring together pieces of broken pottery and at the same time enhance the breaks. The technique consists of joining fragments and giving them a new, more refined aspect. Every repaired piece is unique. Because of the randomness with which ceramic shatters and their irregular patterns form that are enhanced with the use of metals. The Kintsugi technique suggests many things. We shouldn't throw away broken objects. When an object breaks, it doesn't mean it's no more useful. The breakages can become valuable. We should try to repair things because sometimes in doing so, we obtain more valuable objects. This is the essence of resilience. Each of us should look for a way to cope with traumatic events in a positive way and learn from negative experiences. Take the best from them and convince ourselves that exactly these experiences make each person unique and precious. So lastly, this week when we see our cracks and our imperfections, pray that Jesus fill them with his gold of grace and strength and to use you as a vessel to show the beauty of his goodness and mercy. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for our limitations and our imperfections. You, in your desire to have a relationship with us, knew in your infinite wisdom that we would need to learn to need you. Help us this week as we are confronted with our weakness and limitations and refocus our desire on you and allow your goal to fill our cracks and make us beautiful in your image. Amen.